Okay, so uh, back to another session of Cutting Room Floor. We're in 1 Samuel 28, one of the more, I don't know, unique, yeah, unique stories in probably the entirety mm-hmm. of the scripture. And if you're not familiar with it, we'll, we'll go over it. Um, where do you want to start? Yeah, I think just to, by way of introduction, just to let people know that what we're about to go through is, again, like you mentioned, one of the strangest stories in all of scripture and it's a story about basically Saul is trying to seek divine counsel through raising up the dead spirit or the dead something of, of Samuel. So like mm. Samuel's back from the dead in this like ghost spirit like kind of form. We're not really totally sure. We'll get into some of that. Yeah. But we might look at a text like this or a passage like this and go, oh, this is just ancient people in the way distant past. Like we know better now. This stuff can't happen or doesn't happen. And I think just from the get-go, just to perhaps lay some of those like modern assumptions aside about what can or cannot happen in mm. this world and to recognize like the writers of scripture are brilliant, intelligent people and they're communicating stories and ideas and truths um, in a way that for their cultural context and their cultural moment that still, I think, speak God's word to us today and that we should, again, lay those modern assumptions aside of what can or should not happen mm. in a text like this and not just to try to explain it away with, again, what we might think should happen in yeah. something like this. So, yeah. Well, and this becomes a good example of that because we can do this with a lot of scripture. Totally. Yeah. Oh, that's not possible. Yeah. And it's like, well, if it's possible in this weirdest situation, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's possible in other exactly. situations. Exactly. And I always so just we'll, say, we'll like, dig in. exactly. Yeah. Just remember that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is not something that happens every day, obviously. Totally. So like, welcome to the strange new world of the yeah. Bible. And so <laughs> the Bible is full of strange things. And go. so here's this. And so as we come to the actual text itself, a couple of things, maybe just to start with a few points that we'll kind of work through. I want to talk about just kind of the intro to this story in the text, talk about some of the, the Torah, the Old Testament background of this text, and then actually work through some of the lines, the verses of the actual text itself. Now, to start the kind of beginning portion of this story, 1 Samuel 28, it's really interesting because what we find in verse 3 where the story begins, the text reads this, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. That's kind of how the narrative begins. And the detail I want to point out is that we're told Samuel has died. Now, if you're reading through 1 Samuel, this is not the first time you've been told that Samuel has died. Just previously, a few chapters back in 1 Samuel 25, almost a copy and paste of the exact same thing we just read in chapter 28 is told in chapter 25. Now Samuel died and all Israel assembled and mourned for him and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Hmm. And one thing just to point out is that, okay, here we have two very similar texts, very similar verses. Introductions. Introductions, exactly. That are, you know, very close together in in this kind of section here in, in 1 Samuel. And it's one of those habits that I begin to develop is just looking at, okay, when you see similar wording, similar kind of verbiage, I think it's one of the ways that the biblical authors are trying to signal there's perhaps some connection or meant to at least read and understand kind of both of these sections in light of each other, or at least to have both of them in the back of our heads as we're working through this story. It's kind of this idea of like either hyperlinking or connecting or just ways of the biblical authors wanting to remind us again of a key detail and not just for like reporting, you know, facts or something, but again, to help us read what is going to seem like a very strange story in light of this other previous story 
in chapter 25. Which is actually helpful just to state like when they're writing these books, right? They don't have chapters and verses. Mm -hmm. So that's how we organize. Sure. Yeah. But they actually organize by some of these repeated phrases. Exactly. Yes. And so when you're reading through, you see it twice. You're meant to think, oh, not that happened in chapter 25. You think, oh, wait. I've read this before. Exactly. And that's yes. actually one of the ways they organize the text. For sure. For sure. And so that's what I think is really important now is when we come to the actual text itself here in chapter 28, we're going to, again, think about what happened in chapter 25 where we had that same kind of introduction. And I think it's going to be helpful to see what are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences. And mm. maybe I can just walk through a couple of them, yeah, that's great. you know, here to start. And in both chapter 25 and in chapter 28, what you have are in each chapter, Different women involved with, respectively, David in chapter 25 and then Saul in chapter 28. You have Abigail and David in chapter 25 and this unnamed woman from Endor with Saul here in chapter 28. Not the moon. Not the moon. Not from Star Wars. Exactly. Yes. Which is, I wonder how that came into be. But anyway, <laughs> there it is. Endor in Star Wars in the Bible. But what you have is David and Abigail in chapter 25. Again, Saul and this woman here in chapter 28. And you have two stories of women and one of the two kings of Israel okay. right there. So there's some similarities that, that take place right there. There's obviously some massive differences. Abigail and this medium sorcerer person, very different in personality. But I think also what we're, we're meant to see is both of these women are brave women who risk their lives to a certain extent. There's a real threat that they both could be killed. Abigail by 400, you know, armed and angry, angry, angry men. The, the witch of Endor fears for her life because she's recognizes that Saul, if he's doing what he's supposed to, is like putting out these yeah. necromancers and these mediums. Um, both women speak with a sense of diplomacy intact. Both try to positively persuade and help, respectively, David and Saul. Both are kind of discerning of kind of what is happening as far as like prophetic words and, and messages that that take place. And both, this is kind of interesting, both were generous women who offered food and hospitality at mm -hmm. the end of each story. So again, you see these similarities and we're meant to go, okay, here's again, two, two stories kind of fairly close together that both have the same introduction. And perhaps as we look at 1 Samuel 28, which is perhaps the more strange stranger of the two stories, perhaps kind of looking at 20, chapter 25 in the background might help us understand why are we being told this story here in chapter 28? As strange as it might seem, perhaps some things from chapter 25 might shed light on chapter 28 and vice versa. So all I'm trying to point out right here, I'm not going to necessarily draw any conclusions right now, we'll save that for the end, is just to kind of throw a red flag, so to speak, mm -hmm. of chapter 25 and chapter 28 perhaps are meant to be read together and read as like mutually interpreting or mutually helping inform how we think about the purpose, kind of the, the teaching purpose behind these two uh, very strange texts, especially chapter uh, 28. That's kind of the first part. Okay. Now, the second part is just understanding the broader context within the Old Testament, the Torah, specifically the Torah itself. Because again, what we have in this story is Saul is going to be turning to like these mediums or these people that kind of conjure up these spirits, this witchcraft sort of idea. And just right from the get-go, all the red flags should be going up because what Saul is doing is prohibited all throughout the Old Testament, in particular, the Torah. Yeah. So you have like in Leviticus. There's no ambivalence. There's no, there's no, yeah, there's no ambiguity at all. Yeah. What Saul is doing is remarkably wrong and not okay, especially for a leader, the king, the supposed king of Israel. So Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20, if anyone turns to the necromancers or the mediums, they're not to do that. They're to be called unclean or to be cut off from the people. 
there's text about like being a medium. So like this woman herself, it's a death penalty if you do this, according mm-hmm. to Leviticus 20. Um, later on in the Old Testament, it's Manasseh who goes after the omens and the mediums and the necromancers, and he's judged by God in Second mm-hmm. Kings 21. But it's Josiah who is commended in Second Kings 23 for, again, getting rid of the necromancers and the mediums and all these people that are doing all this witchcraft which sort of all, stuff. Which Saul supposedly did. Suppose, exactly. <laughs> we were told that in chapter 20, verse 3. Supposedly, exa- right, is, is did the right thing at one point in verse yeah, 3 of yeah. chapter 28. But then now we're going to read this story of like, okay, something's off here. Yeah. And so I just want to point out, again, this second part here. The Old Testament is very clear. Unanimous. Unanimous. This is not okay what Saul is doing or what Saul is about to do. So what exactly is Saul doing here? Let's actually get to some of the text here. So again, we made that observation, verse 3. He gets rid of, or Saul has gotten rid of, the mediums and sorcerers. And Saul is at a point, by the time you get to verse 5 of chapter 28, he's afraid of the Philistines. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of ongoing conflict that Saul has to deal with and that Israel has to deal with with the Philistines. And as a result of that, verse 6, Saul inquires of the Lord, of what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to handle this situation? It's kind of interesting. It's kind of, there's a little bit of, I think, Hebrew comedy here. It's Saul inquires. It's it's Saul's name as like a verb. Saul shawls mm. the Lord. And so he's like asking God, but then is he really asking God? He's going to end up taking things into his mm. own hands. And so the text tells us in verse six that the Lord doesn't respond in three different ways. Doesn't respond by dreams doesn't respond by the Urim, which is, we'll get to that in a second, (laughs) and doesn't respond uh, via the priests at all. So three different kind of things or ways that God could have responded to Saul's inquiry, but he does not. Not by dream, so like divine revelation. And there's biblical precedent all over, especially up to this point in the Bible, of God appearing in dreams, speaking to dreams. Not by the Urim, which is kind of this weird uh, idea or this phrase that goes back to the priesthood itself. The Urim was something that was on... The, the breastplate of Aaron. Um, it's actually the plural form of the word for light. So it's this idea of like the light kind of bringing guidance and clarity for, for God's people. Um, and then there's no word from the prophets themselves. And so it's like heaven's closed. There's no word. There's no response. And one of the questions becomes, okay, so why, why is God not speaking back mm-hmm. to, to Saul? Yeah. Like why isn't God responding to supposedly this inquiry that Saul has? And I think it kind of gets back to you. We don't necessarily get into all of this. Like Saul has kind of habituated himself in this ongoing pattern of not sincerely seeking the Lord, but ends up ending up taking things into his own hands. Well, so and he's, he's been told to, to basically that he's being replaced as king. Yeah. And yet he's still sitting on the throne. Totally. So yeah, appropriate obedience he's would been, be like, okay, David, here you go. Exactly. You decide how to fight the Philistines. He's been actually, God has already spoken to him. And he's not totally. listening to the words that God has already spoken. So totally. it's no wonder, kind of, sometimes we get he's in like, these can situations. can you tell me again and tell me something different? Different and that I like want to hear. wanting God now to say, okay, I changed my mind. It's like, exactly. no, no, no. If you, yeah, sorry, keep going. No, I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's really important because it's these three like legitimate means that we have throughout the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. Dreams, the priests, and the prophets yeah. that are ways that God speaks to his people that aren't speaking because Saul already has give, has been given divine guidance totally. and he's ignoring it. Yeah. And so no wonder then it's not like God's being mean and like totally. turning his back. No, God has explicitly communicated to Saul yeah. prior to this and Saul's not listening. Yeah. yeah. There's this irony of Saul's like, I'm King and I'm leading the army. God, tell me how to lead the army. And God is basically saying through his silence, uh, I already told you not to be yeah. King. So I don't want to tell you how to lead the army. 
if you want to hand everything over to David, I'm more than willing more, to talk exactly, to him. Exactly, totally. Um, so yeah, it's this, Saul's putting himself in this impossible situation. For sure, for sure. And he's the one who ironically is asking God and his name means the one asked for, yes. but he's not actually asking God. <laughs> so there's this weird irony that's happening yeah. there in the text. But then you get to verse seven, Saul disguises himself as this, the word in English that's often translated as a, as a medium. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? They don't use that word in English, you know, all that often really in this kind of context, but kind of the sorcerer, this kind of witchcraft kind of person. And it's this kind of rare word in the, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, but it, Saul is disguising himself as a medium. It's used again twice in verse seven, and it's used actually two more times, at least part of the word is used two more times elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible hmm. for someone who's actually a prostitute. And so there's this idea of like this person that Saul is or coming to is not actually just like simply a witchcraft kind of person, but perhaps is also a prostitute in addition to that. So there's some ambiguity as to what exactly or who Got this it. kind of person actually is because Saul is going to a medium in disguise and this medium kind of ambivalent here. Is it just like a rich craft sorcerer type person or is there some like prostitute kind of leanings yeah. or ideas embedded in there? Got it. And so what again, what happens here is that Saul asks in verse eight, divine for me a spirit or make for me kind of a spirit. And it's not the word that's normally used for spirit ruach there. It's this very particular word that's only used in a negative sense for kind of these negative, divine, ghost-like, spiritual, not good things that happen in the Bible. So Saul is asking for this very strange kind of aberration, this strange sort of thing to take place. And all of this again takes place according to verse seven at this place called Endor, which kind of by way of background there was a place where God had judged and destroyed much of the Canaanites back in the book of Judges. Yep. So Saul is going to this place. And that, it's in Philistine territory. In Philistine territory. So it's not, he's going away from the direction yep. of God to a place that God had ultimately judged pr uh, centuries prior. Um, and so all, there's all these sort of red flags that Saul is doing this at night. Verse eight, he's asking for something that's explicitly forbidden according to Deuteronomy and the rest of the law divine for me. Verse eight, uh, according to Deuteronomy 18, he convinces this woman because the woman at, at first blush is like, okay, like, you know, I can't do this. Saul, according to verse three of chapter 28, put out all the necromancers yeah. in the mediums. And so if Saul it's finds like out, a sting operation. exactly. Like, so she's wondering, like, <laughs> I'm going to die if yeah. I, if I do this. Yeah. And Saul ironically says, as the Lord lives, verse 10, which is a complete irony, ironic statement, because he's seeking the dead, yeah. <laughs> you know, from as the Lord lives. So there's, again, there's this irony there in verse 10, but Saul finally convinces the women to do what he asked to bring up this kind of spirit, this, again, this negative, whole bunch of negative connotations with that word spirit there in the original text. And Saul specifically asked in verse 11 to bring up for me, Samuel. Now, we just were told back in verse 3 that Samuel had died. Mm -hmm. So this gets into some of the nitty-gritty of like what exactly is happening here. So I think it's important. I'll just read a few of the verses here. When the women saw Samuel, after again Saul had asked, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God. Now, that word for God is the word Elohim. I see an Elohim, I see a spiritual being, or I see it's the same word that it can be used to describe a variety of spiritual beings or God himself, or it can be plural as well. I see gods coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid a homage. 
Now, it's really interesting because what exactly is the, this woman and, and Saul himself actually seeing? And I can't help but wonder if verse 13, where it says, I see an Elohim or I see a God, is meant to maybe inform hmm. verse 12 when she said, I see Samuel. So are we actually to think that this is Samuel himself coming up out of the ground? Or are we to think that this is some like spiritual being disguising himself as Samuel, according to verse 13, coming out of, out of the ground? I think people debate and kind of nuance like what exactly is being depicted or being described uh, here. But I, I don't know, on many ways, I'm not sure. It seems like the text reads in many ways that this is actually Samuel coming up out of the ground. And so kind of questions naturally arise up to this point. Did the medium actually make contact with a live, living spirit being? And if so, was it really the prophet Samuel? And this is kind of something that isn't probably going to be satisfied to like everyone's kind of curiosity. But on one level, it seems like the plain meaning or the plain kind of understanding of the text is that perhaps you really did see Samuel somehow, some way. And again, this gets back to like the strangeness of the Bible. Like, how is this even possible? You know, second, the medium reacted to Samuel's appearance as though it was genuine and terrifying experience. She cried out at the top of with a loud voice. So there's this strong reaction that suggests that Samuel's appearance was unexpected. And perhaps she never actually had done this before. Maybe this is like her first time. She's like wondering, how in the world is this actually happening? We don't necessarily know with some of that. Well, it's interesting. She doesn't do like there's certain, and I covered this on Sunday, but there's certain like practices that a medium would do. Yeah. And she doesn't do any do of them. Do any of them, yeah. So you have this sense of like, well, did God said Samuel? Yeah. And so Samuel actually shows up, but it's not because she did anything. Exactly, right? yeah. So do you have that? Is she... Is she a charlatan? Is she just like, cause Saul doesn't see him. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So then it's like, is she just like making it making up? Right. It up. You'd like, there's all these theories of like what uh, exactly yeah, yeah. is happening here. Right. And so like the speeches that are attributed to Samuel contain like prior allusions to like actual interchange between Samuel and Saul from like when Samuel was actually alive. Yeah. So like maybe it actually is the real Samuel that like you're alluding to that God is like, not like hijacking is too strong a word, but like taking over what this, woman is doing to like bring further judgment upon Saul yeah. for going this direction. Totally. That's completely against Yahweh's design. Yeah. Um, Samuel's role and message as a prophet so much, a part of his ministry life was not different at all when he encounters Saul here. Totally. Like it's the same. It feels consistent. It feels consistent. I think that's what I'm trying to get at here is yeah. that what Samuel is doing, whether, however you understand Samuel at this moment in chapter 28 is very consistent with totally. the Samuel. We know, from prior to chapter 28 yeah. before we were it's told just that hard he died. to so like the reason i go towards the god is doing it versus a medium is hard for me to imagine that a prophet of god dies and then god maybe and it's hard to tell you know what's your belief about at this time like mm -hmm. what exists as far as heaven is god outside of time right this gets yeah. too complex but presumably samuel's with god yeah so let's say they're like chatting and then all of a sudden samuel starts to like sort of turn immaterial and God is like, Oh no, He's that gone. medium took him from me <laughs> yeah, again. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like really? Yeah. I just don't buy it. Yeah. Um, but I could totally see the medium freaks out. God has sent mm -hmm. Samuel beats her at her own game. Yeah. She sort of freaks out. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's, and then he sort of preaches just like he did totally. to, to Saul. To Saul. Yeah. And I think that's partly what we're trying to, build this profile out here is like when you actually keep going on in the past, we won't read all of it right now. We covered it on Sunday. The consistency with the language of Samuel mirrors the language that 
was clearly Samuel when he was alive totally. to Saul. Yeah. So there's definitely consistency yeah. there. So if she's a charlatan, she's really good. Yeah, really good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which I, yeah, it's just but it is this very strange passage because yeah. it raises all these questions yeah. of like what happens what happened to Samuel when he died? How is like yeah. God allowing this yeah. with the medium with this person who has this yeah, yeah. supposed power? So again, all these kind of questions, all these kind of nuances and debates with with some of this. I do think it's interesting though that later interpreters of this story or people reflecting on this story from kind of within the time afterwards and before Jesus really talked about this story. So the wisdom of Ben Sirach, so again, a century or two mm. before Jesus, comments on, on this story. Even after he had fallen asleep, he prophesied and made known to the king his death and lifted up his voice from the ground in prophecy to blot out the wickedness of the people. So again, this is a later Jewish writer, thinker, who's close to these events, close to like this tradition in the story, making it seem like this is actually Samuel who's prophesying. It's, it's Samuel who's doing, is doing this sort of kind of declaring that, mm -hmm. you know, is, this is it, Saul. You're mm -hmm. done. Yeah. You're done for. Um, there's all these sort of other rabbinic you know, interpretations that kind of go on as the centuries progress, including, number one, we've touched on this, an actual raising of Samuel by the wicked means of this person. So some Jewish rabbis and interpreters think it's actually the necromancer, the medium doing it. There's deception being perpetrated. It's God causing either Samuel or a demon to appear. It's a demon acting on part from God to deceive Saul. So again, there's a variety of there's like a lot of theories, a lot there. of theories. But I'm even just focusing on some of like what later Jewish rabbis yeah. in the in the early early period, just centuries or two after this, that are thinking about this this story. They're debating. Yeah. They're wrestling with it. So it's not like we're going to solve the world's problems, no. you know, here here today. Um, but it is clear, though, First Chronicles looks back at this story, written mm. probably written more than likely after Samuel and Kings, mm. towards the end of the Hebrew Bible, and says in First Corinthians ten thirteen. So Saul, first Chronicles. First, sorry, First Chronicles, Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord, and also consulted the medium seeking guidance. So the writer of the Chronicles clearly sees that Saul mm. is being judged in this in mm. this moment here. Which kind of leads me back to what I talked about at the beginning with the comparison of David and Abigail in chapter 25, the detail that Samuel had died, the detail again that Samuel died, and with Saul and this woman, this medium, this sorcerer. And so how am I now thinking about those two stories? What's the purpose of this story? If we're not necessarily going to like, you know, die on the hill of what exactly Samuel is and how this process came about, there is some ambiguity there in the text. But what is like the, the purpose why are we being told these stories? Why did the author want to tell us both these stories about these two individuals in this sort of way? And I think my best hunch is something like this, is that the comparison that we're, I think, meant to draw upon is what happens when the king no longer has the prophet, no longer, and the prophet being like this standing for yeah. God's word. Samuel. Samuel, exactly. And so the prophet is kind of tasked with this idea of speaking God's word to his people. Mm. And that in many ways, the king was meant to listen to the prophet. Mm. That the king wasn't to just go off and do whatever that king wanted to do. That that king was subordinate to the word of God. And so when you have in 1 Samuel 25, we're told Samuel has died. And here's now a story of David, the up and coming king. And what follows in that story is... David just has this huge anger meltdown and he kind of goes off the rails a little bit. He's yeah. not like this pristine character in that moment. And then here in 1 Samuel 28, you have a story of the king who's descending, who's not up on the rise. And we're told again, the prophet has died. What does it look like when the king no longer has the prophet, mm. the word of God in, in that king's life? Well, it's complete disaster for Saul. And I think this later points to, okay, so when David does commit 
his probably most infamous act with Bathsheba. It's Nathan the prophet that mm. comes back later to steer David back in the right direction. Mm. And so I think it kind of paints this picture of, dear reader, don't think these kings, and even David himself, is this high and mighty hero. He really needs to depend on and rely on the word of God. And Saul in particular has failed at that. Mm. And the king is only going to be successful. The king is only going to do God's will and to bring God's kingdom only when that king is subordinate to God's authority and God's hmm. God's word. And so I don't know. That, that's just kind of my kind of hunch with yeah. why we might be thinking about those comparisons there. Um, because it's getting at this idea of why are we being told these stories? Yeah. Like what is the, the teaching, the pedagogical purpose of these stories for us as God's people? And I think it's meant to get us to think we are meant to be a people that live under the authority of God's word mm. in our lives. And when we kind of don't have that in our lives, look what happens. Things go poorly. Things go poorly. So yeah, I like it. Yeah. So you're saying like broadly, uh, you know, two different stories. We unpack 28, but that there's a parallel mm -hmm. structure that's saying, hey, we're meant to live under God's word, symbolized by the prophet. The prophet yeah. has died. Now what looks happens to God's yeah. people? Mm -hmm. One gets sort of undercut by his own emotions yeah. on the anger side. Yeah, the other one David. out of fear is now looking for witches and others to give yeah. them guidance. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So we need in our day, not just prophets or we've been given the scriptures, yeah. which are the word and living according to those. Yes, for sure. Not allowing them to die. Not allowing them to die and to like be a people that recognize yeah. that the word of God, Hebrews four is living and active that's good. and is meant to bring life to us and yeah. to bring guidance for us as we cool. seek to follow Jesus. Thanks, man. That's good. Cool.